Hello and welcome to Robin and Josie's Book Shambles, or Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. You're listening to the abridged version of this episode. If you'd like to hear the extended, uncut edition, you can, for as little as $1 a month, by pledging to support the podcast and the Cosmic Shambles Network. You'll get access to extended episodes of Book Shambles each week, as well as all sorts of other goodies like free tickets to our events, and so on, and so on, and etc. Go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. It's a forward slash, but you know that again. Hello, welcome to Book Shambles. Producer Trent here. This week's episode was recorded a few weeks ago live at the British Library as part of the Chortle Comedy Book Festival. Thanks to uh, those of you that come along to that show. The episode is Robin and Josie with the actor, comedian, writer, author and broadcaster Les Dennis. Before we get to that, a few other bits and bobs. Thanks to everyone that came along to... uh, The show's at the Slapstick Festival this past weekend. Good to see a lot of you there. Uh, All the events that we were part of up there will be out as podcasts soon. Uh, That includes uh, a Book Shambles Live we did with Joe Neary and uh, Sophie Ratcliffe about P.G. Woodhouse. There was a Laurel and Hardy special with Stephen Merchant, a celebration of the 50th anniversary of The Goodies with All The Goodies. Uh, discussion about uh, slapstick in the classics. Uh, so all that stuff will be out in due course. Thanks, as always, to our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you can go to support the show. Uh, you can pledge as little as $1 a month and get extended uh, editions of episodes each week. Here are the bits that got cut out for the uh, general release. And also your money goes directly into helping pay for the production of Book Shambles in the studio costs and the hosting of it and all that sort of stuff. So thank you for your support there and uh, thank you for your future support if you uh, go and pledge after hearing this. Couple of live shows coming up as well, uh, which we will announce soon. But do not forget about Sea Shambles May 17 at the Royal Albert Hall with Robin and Josie and Helen Chersky and Steve Backshaw and British Sea Power and Lem Cisse and lots of others as well. Tickets for that from the Royal Albert Hall website. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review. Uh, five stars on Apple Podcasts really helps us out. Thank you very much for the people that have been doing that. Uh, enough of this Here is this week's episode recorded live at the British Library, part of the Chortle Comedy Book Festival. Here's Robin and Josie and Les Dennis. Um, Hello, welcome to uh, Josie and Robin's Book Shambles, which we're going to cover a lot of ground today. And uh, I love coming to the British Library. It's one of my favourite places. This bag wasn't full. I've nicked loads. Um, Please welcome our guest for today's Book Shambles, Mr Les Dennis. Hello. <laughs> this is what I love about, I was, I was saying to Jason beforehand, my, my life is kind of ridiculous in terms of uh, variety. Uh, that one moment, like last night, I was reading Maxwell's The Fool on the Hill, which I highly recommend, at the same time as trying to understand quantum physics, because I'm doing something with Brian Cox tomorrow. And I remember a lot of this book, and I still remember nothing about quantum <laughs> physics, but I can tell you exactly what Maxwell was doing in Prestatin. Uh, 
So if you listen to Infinite Monkey Cage, you're going, it's very strange, he's talking about wave-particle duality, but from the perspective of Max Wall and Professor Warlowski as separate <laughs> characters. Um, even that's overly niche for this audience, and they're a niche audience. <laughs> this is Chortle Book Festival. <laughs> now, we've got... Les, I read, uh, probably about eight or nine years ago now, that um, Les wrote one of my favourite um, comedy autobiographies. It's brilliant. Um, and you. it's called Must the Show Go On, which alone is a fantastic yeah. title. <laughs> it's incredible. Right? And, and it's, uh, I, I, I think that... Was that your idea? Well, we went through a lot of different um, titles, ideas, and I think, you know, uh, eventually I kept saying, but I now will not go on stage um, if I'm grieving. You know, because I, I had three uh, major deaths in my life and I went on stage after them and um, I said, why? What must the show go on? And so that was really the reason that we called it that. But, but for a long time, the, the publishers were saying, do we put the question mark <laughs> on, the, on the front of the cover? I think we did. can't remember. I had the hardback 12, and I think it was on the hardback. 12, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 12 years ago, I, um, I wrote it, so... Yeah. Well, that's, I think, what is, and it is, I mean, I came across it, and this again is one of those lovely things where we were talking about this on the phone the other mm -hmm. day, which is, I think a while ago, there were supposed very specific boundaries between comedy. Right. It was right. meant to be, there was, you know, certainly when I was growing up, there was kind of, the, there's alternative comedy, there's yeah. Alexis Sell and, and Rick Mayle and John Dowie and French mm -hmm. Sorcerer, and then there was, then there was mainstream comedy, yeah. you know, kind of the Friday night comedy thing. And it, there was a sense, that those worlds would never meet. <laughs> yeah. But then in 1997, when I did a musical with Ted Rogers, Sue Pollard and Freddie Parrott-Face Davis, <laughs> which was a bloody delight as well, by the way, I can tell you now. This what was, was it called? It was called That Showbiz. And, uh, did it have a question mark? Or was it uh, the, well, <laughs> the question mark was very much the play itself. Um, and it was a fascinating... I remember when I said yes to it, and I was working with Dave Gorman at the time, and he went, why on earth did you say yes to that? And I wanted to say a drunken bet that I'll turn into a book. But I... Um, but no, I, I, and I said, because it's Ted Rogers and Sue Pollard. And at that time, yeah. people were going, that seems a really... But I was so fascinated... By that by, world. By different... Well, yeah, the, mm. the different worlds. Having br been brought up, you know, 3, 2, 1... Yeah. And, and Sue in Heidi High, who is amazing in Heidi High as well. It's, it's, she it's, is amazing. It's, it's a yeah. fantastic... And she is... If you're ever wondering about... I know I've often talked about Brian Blessed and the fact that Brian Blessed is Brian Blessed when you meet him. <laughs> Sue Pollard is Sue she Pollard. Is, <laughs> she is Sue Pollard. I think um, we did something at uh, GMTV very early one morning in Blackpool and there was Frank Carson and Sue Pollard and Frank was tired and Sue was still going she had the Duracell batteries she could still go but you're talking about that kind of different world I remember um, we always used to when we did a show at the BBC Dustin and I did uh, the laughter show there you'd get invited to the um, the light entertainment Christmas party and when we went all the you know Rick and Aid and Ben Elton were all on one side of the room and I was over here with little and large and um, and uh, and all this and there was kind of like this it's like the sharks and the jets. Yeah, yeah, it was like the sharks and the jets. Nobody was talking until um, Barry Cryer, the Kofi Annan of comedy, um, <laughs> said, come on, let's get together. And we just found we had so much more in common than we thought, you know. I think the, the war was, was more media-based than, than anything at the time. Well, that is, I mean, because it's, there's a, a sketch with Rick Mail on the Cannon and Ball show. Right. Has anyone seen that sketch? <laughs> 
It's it's an incredible, and it does remind you that because counting the ball again when I was kind of I suppose yeah near near teens and then in my my teens they were not mm. uh, I was still angry because I used to write to the rank film distributors to try and get free stuff right and I always thought they'd send me posters of the uh, Roger Moore Richard Burton film The Wild Geese or the Lewis Collins epic Who Dares Wins but they repeatedly sent me posters and promotional material for the Cannon and Ball film The Boys, Boys in, in Blue, Blue. yeah <laughs> and as if to make it clear that they knew that I wasn't really doing a project at school about film I just wanted free <laughs> shit every time they'd send me a bigger Cannon and Ball poster than before right, right? so uh, I've got a 60 <laughs> by 40 Boys in Blue and the single the, as well they actually sent me as the ultimate threat the seven inch press I don't know who else has it I looked it up it's both very <laughs> rare and also worth nothing oh, I've, got, <laughs> I've got a signed copy of the Jim Bowen rap it's exactly <laughs> so were you can I ask were you fans of Cannon and Ball were you fans of Jim, Jim Bowen um, so I I'm I'm a bit younger and so I was a literal child in the 80s so it all it was all TV that I liked it was all right. I wouldn't have gone oh well that's mainstream that's <laughs> yeah, this that's... I would have been like this person's charming this person's charming great mm-hmm. and also this is making me I really wish that we currently had that culture war and not the one that we have now <laughs> like, I would so much rather be here being like yes but can the mainstream and the alternative ever get along <laughs> you know, as opposed to kind of like what else what is going on yeah, in the world yeah. Yeah. yeah well it's a lot more blurred now isn't it that's oh, the truly. problem which is you you're in a dressing room and you might think there were some similar ideals mm-hmm. and yeah, then there's that point of, yeah it's so much more I, th- I think it's really interesting because it is so much more diffuse and there are certain people who are very mainstream but their sensibilities are very alternative and vice versa and yeah mm-hmm. it's, it's all over the place <laughs> it's, the ball came down and then everyone just <laughs> ran everywhere <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the, um when you were writing must the show gone what yeah what were the points of things i mean first of all what did you find about yourself because that's what I find fascinating in The Division is when mm. I was watching you, when I would have seen you on Family Fortunes, and this again shows that kind of uh, our inability to see people as a multitude. Right. I would not have thought that bloke there is probably going to, when he's finished, go, sorry, I've got to leave. They're doing a Samuel Beckett trilogy at the Old Vic <laughs> and I don't want to miss it. But right. that was part of your life as well. You know, you have a fascination with theatre, yeah. reading, with, with cinema, and yet when you are on television, there's this, you know, there's very specific image of what you are yeah. meant to be. Um, I, I think, yeah, the, uh, my real name is Leslie Heseltine and Leslie Heseltine would not in a million years get up on stage. Les Dennis will, you know, the, when the fridge door opens, will do 20 minutes. Um, but, but kind of, so there, there are two, and, and in the book I talk about that, about Leslie Heseltine being a separate entity to Les Dennis. Um, and I, I suppose I wanted to explore that. And at the time that I was writing it, it was, you know, um, I think The Guardian had said that in the long, strange career of Les Dennis, he makes yet another left turn. So, which I took as a compliment because I thought, well, if you keep turning left, you'll eventually go full circle. So, um, I, I think I wanted to explore, you know, this career that had been all over the place um, and this kind of need to get on stage that, that part of me had, but another part didn't. So, and I was determined not to have a ghostwriter. You know, the, uh, originally the publishers were like, well, we think maybe you should have somebody with you. And I said, well, can you let me send, send you a, a few sample um, chapters first? And I did that, and they said, okay, get off and do it. So, um, yeah, it, it was, 
I know it's it's a cliche, but it was cathartic to write it, you know, um, because a lot of things had happened in my life that were plastered all over the, the, the tabloids for a while. You know, I, when, when my marriage to Amanda Holden split up, it was, you know, I, I was in the paper every day. And people said, um, you know, it will be tomorrow's fish and chip paper, but it isn't. It isn't anymore, you know. And, and I found out recently that I was hacked for nine years. I was, I was phone hacked for nine years. So, um, you know, kind of living through that, uh, that kind of attention, um, you know, you come out in some way, you think you're not damaged by it, but you certainly are, you know, you kind of, it's post-traumatic. Yeah. When did you find... I mean, we were talking earlier about the fact you've had a very busy period. You've been at the RSC, you yeah. were on tour with Natalie, and you've actually taken a bit of time off this mm-hmm. year. Yeah. And yet, even now, you're still thinking, hang on a minute, can I... I mean, that's part of what the book is about, the fact that, you yes. know, as you said, three funerals... I mean, I was telling yeah. you about the day of my mum's funeral. I yeah. also went to the Rose Door Awards at the uh, British Museum. Right. And thank fuck we won. I'd have been... Blo- <laughs> I would have... Yeah, I would have really kicked off. My mum's fucking dead. Give me an award. <laughs> <laughs> no, not fucking woman's hour. Well, people talk about throwing yourself into work, you know, when instead of grieving, don't they? And I know certainly a similar thing when, when, when my dad died. Um, I was away in Bournemouth, and it was before mobile phones, and I had not, um, for some reason, um, I kind of, he, he'd had a cold the, uh, on the Friday before, and he was supposed to come to a club with me. And he said, no, I'm sorry, kid, I won't come with you because I'm, I'm not feeling great. And I thought, that's not like my dad. And I went to Bournemouth to do a show with Russ Abbott, stage show. And... Um, I didn't give um, Lynn, my wife, uh, a, a number, a phone number where I was staying. And so my dad had got ill and was in hospital, was kind of on his deathbed with, my, with family all round, and they didn't know how to get in touch with me. And it was the next day that I went to the phone box in the theatre and called home, and Lynn said, you better sit down, I've got some bad news. So um, my kind of... That, that idea of then going on that night kind of... People saying to, to me, kind of producers and saying, it would, your dad would be proud if you went on. So I did. Um, but with hindsight, I wouldn't do that now, you know, because I did it then and I did it then when Dustin died, when um, I was in a double act with Dustin G. We were uh, right at the pinnacle of our success and he collapsed in a dressing room. Don't work with me. Never work with me. <laughs> he collapsed you know what you in find a... about the cursed two legs? <laughs> he, he, we, I was there when Tommy Cooper died. So, um, I mean, the evidence glad is you're starting sitting to there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we, we were the next act on when Tommy had um, died on live television and Dustin and I had to go on afterwards. And afterwards, Dustin said, that's the way I'd like to go. And literally in pantomime, he collapsed in a, in a dressing room and died two days later. And again, I was, conv- I was told um, almost that you know what the, sh- the adage is that the show must go on the show must go on and the next day I went on stage with Jim Bowen in Dustin's frocks and you know you think I've got to do this because there are everybody else in the show would be out of a job and everybody who's coming to the show wouldn't come I'm, with looking now I would say that's fine get get two people to play the ugly sisters don't get me to do it with jim bowen you know so that's where the the title of the book it was the only title in the end that i could i could use you know 
But that, I mean, the Dustin G one, I think, for some reason, that was the one that I think hit hardest in the book, was that mm. sensation of you're now rehearsing with someone, you know, at the, yeah. the chemistry that you two had when you were working together. Yeah. And that it's such a kind of, you know, it's obviously a very different thing. They've brought in a comic as normally a solo comic. Yeah. Well, I remember um, I did uh, Richard Herring's podcast and he went, I wish my comedy partner had died. (laughs) 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 Which is very Richard and was very funny. How long had you and he worked together? Dustin and I. Uh, Well, very, it was, we met on um, the Russ Abbott show. We'd met kind of briefly a couple, a few years before. But then um, we started, it would only be about three years and he was already established as a uh, uh, one of those rare comedy acts that could fill clubs without television exposure. He was like a name in the clubs. And he was prepared to start a double act with a rookie comic. So, I, you know, he was amazingly generous, man. Yeah. Miss him to this day. He's a, Louis... Um, Lou Buff was talking about him before and just saying about his Robert Mitchum impression, which was incredible. He just looked, he looked almost like that, that movie star kind of um, persona, Dustin, and, and he could kind of just conjure up a, a facial impression, or Larry Grayson. Or, it had that kind of thing that Phil Cool had. I mean, this was of course, before yeah. Phil Cool, or certainly before, because the whole face seemed to kind of widen yeah. and yeah. sink. Yeah, and, and, right. and I think as far as, certainly for me, uh, uh, when I was, he was the first person who did Billy Connolly. Yes. At that point, Billy, now yeah. lots of comics yeah. do yeah. Billy Connolly for various different reasons, yeah. and sometimes not saying it's an impression. But yeah. um, the, that, he was brilliant at it. Yeah, and, he was. And, uh, yeah. And we'd put the oddest people together. We'd put Billy Connolly with Bobby Ball. <laughs> or we'd put Larry Grayson with Boy George. We'd, we'd tried to do kind of, you know, the odd mix of, of people. I love that Larry Grayson story about when there were some various people campaigning. I, I think that they said that he should be open and out. Mm. Uh, and uh, they were allowed into the BBC. And when the discussion began, apparently he placed his uh, hands over his poodle's ears because he didn't want the poodle to hear, which, uh, <laughs> is, uh, which is like the Danny LaRue story, of the, the, the one where Danny LaRue's in Blackpool and he wants to get... I think, he, I think it was a poodle as well. Louis Barf, who's in the audience, will know all these stories. So you please Jaunty, do his dog Jaunty. You're talking about... Yeah. <laughs> a master... Yeah, but, a very... It's a, it's a, a, a lovely story that, that he, he wanted to get a little uh, a, a tailor-made coat for him. Oh, right. And so he went to this tailor's. He said, I'd like to get a, a, a coat for my dog. Uh, I'd like it specially made. And they went, OK. He said, yeah, my dog's about, it's about that long <laughs> and he's about that high on the legs. And they said, can't you just bring your dog in? He went, no, I want it to be a surprise. <laughs> so they, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I worked with, with, with Larry and Jonty was there, Jonty the dog. And he, um, I remember him, there was a story of him ringing a theatre and saying, uh, of course I will be coming next week to, to do the week at the, at, the, at the Grand in Blackpool, but I, I want Jonty with me, my dog. And they said, no, no, we're sorry, we don't allow dogs. So he put the phone down and then he, uh, the phone rang again and they answered and he said, no dog, no Danny. <laughs> that, did you ever find yourself going I've moved myself into the third person I must now be going mad as a, an entertainer that, that is suddenly, one of those moments isn't it yeah, yeah suddenly doing, doing a, a Larry a, a Danny impression yeah. yeah we're just based that thing of going well I think you, uh, you'll find that's the kind of thing that Les Dennis doesn't do you are Les Dennis am that's I Les right. Dennis yeah. who knows who Les Dennis is you are yeah. Les Dennis but I'm also Les I've got another name as well but, but that was interesting when you were talking about the, the fact that, you know, Leslie Heseltine wouldn't mm, go... Yeah. That, did you ever read Johnny Vegas's autobiography? No, Becoming I Johnny haven't. Vegas? Have you read that? No, I haven't. 
Well, that's the end of that one then. No. So moving but, on. The, um, no. There is something to that, which is that I think in recent years, comedians are so up for being like, this is my real name. Mm -hmm. I'm going to share as much as possible of my real life. And I don't necessarily think that that's a smarter decision than creating a stage name, creating a stage persona. Mm. Like I, I really see people kind of then having exactly the same feeling of like, yes, but that actually isn't me and this is me. And I don't, except they don't have a kind of clearer distinction. Right, right. You know, they yeah. still have those problems, but they kind of, they're all too amorphous because there's no... Like, what I'm saying is I should have called myself, like, Josie, <laughs> Josie Wimwam or something. Like, <laughs> something a bit more showbiz. You can still be Josie Wimwam. Yeah. I sometimes watch you and think, I think that's Josie Wimwam on now. It's not Josie Wimwam. Great name. Brendan Byrne. Yeah. <laughs> You've clearly thought of using that name, Josie Wimwam. <laughs> no, I just came up with it they, just then. That's it. That's Good the birth name. of Josie Wimwam. With a question mark. With a question mark. But I wonder if that's what Josie Wimwam would do. Oh, bloody hell. I wish I could, I wish, for instance, I could use the Leslie Hesseltine name as an actor. Like when I went to the RSC last year and um, um, was in two uh, restoration plays, one uh, The Provoked Wife by Vanbrugh and one which was a, um, a, a tragedy by uh, Thomas Otway, Venice Preserved. Um, that Les Dennis baggage kind of comes with you where, you know, you're, oh, he's a revelation. You know, it's kind of like we didn't expect this. And, and, and one review that even said Les Dennis impresses in a play about family misfortunes. And this was in a broadsheet, like talking about Thomas Otway's Venice Preserved. And, 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 and I was kind of embarrassed because I wasn't the main actor in it, but they kind of used that as, you know... They thought it up and they were like, yeah, I've got, got to use that. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. is that where you do see the, the division? Do you still feel that? Because I, I think I notice it at book festivals mm. where the kind of very literary book festivals, people all do seem to sit on their own looking, oh, God, why did that person <laughs> win the Orange Prize? There's a very snoot... And when you walk in, you think, oh, I'm just, I'm a cheap turn and that's what I do. <laughs> and, that, and I quite like that, actually. I like just talking to the technicians or whatever. But you feel mm. in that kind of... Compared to if it's like a science fiction thing or science or lots of... Yeah other things where everyone's quite gregarious and in the same way I think someone might think about that the art world the kind of what might be considered to be the high art world right the idea you know I went to the RC and I was at Les Dennis you know, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's going right. to be yes. people's uh, and that I don't know if you felt that with actors at all or merely with audiences uh, you know I didn't feel it at all on, on the first day of rehearsal I had that imposter syndrome thinking I'm going in with a group of you know trained actors who've been to RADA and um, uh, and the old Vic theatre school or you know they're, they're trained and I am going to come across as the you know the guy that can't do it you know I'm going to prove that I can't do it and of course I'd passed muster at the audition so you know the directors had faith in me um but when I got in there you know they were so wonderfully um welcoming and in fact Caroline Quentin who was also in The Provoked Wife she uh, had come through as as a dancer on the Bernie Clifton show in in summer season. So uh, and Rufus Hound not trained at all. So I think we, those are both comedians, really. Yes, exactly. Way. So, but but there's that. I think we, you know, there's a lot of talk of imposter syndrome in life, isn't there, at the moment? You know, people being you know aware of that, and I think we all suffer it. But um, you know, the, the, I, I'm scared being here now with you guys. You're, you're from a different world to me. I still, I still have that belief, you know? Sorry, I 
probably interrupted you in a previous podcast and I'm going to interrupt you again. Sea Shambles is on sale now, which is a follow-up to our Space Shambles show at the Royal Albert Hall that sold out in 2018 and in 2020 at the Royal Albert Hall. We are going to be discussing all things that are the sea and myths and Krakens or Krakens and amongst others there will be Helen Chersky who's here at the moment. I am and I'm very glad everyone's getting excited about the ocean. It's long overdue. Yeah, it was going to be, it's still 80% mystery, so we don't know that that allows us to do lots of weird things. Helen's going to be there, Josie's going to be there, Steve Baxter's going to be there, Lem Cesar's going to be there, there are guest bands about to be announced soon. Anyway, that's enough of that merciless plugging. Well, that's, I, I remember that I, I, when I did that musical with Ted Rogers and Sue Pollard, the, uh, when I walked in for the first day, because they'd been told, Jimmy Perry said, he's an alternative comedian. <laughs> and so I arrived at this kind of... And I think they thought I was just going to walk in and go, all right, you fucking old stiff. I bet none of you know anything about Chairman Mao. Anyway, I'm a Marxist. Yeah. You know, they, they thought that's what it was going to be like. They, they thought, I wish it was. Uh, well, it, actually, the sad thing was that's exactly what I did. I, I, I just read The Little Red Book and it, it was unputdownable. Um <laughs> But, that, but I love that, you know, that, and, and then see it, because there was a guy called Brian Burden. Have you ever come across yes. Brian? Yeah, Brian yeah. Burden, who was the, the, the main panto dame at, at, at the Windsor, Windsor Royal yeah. for years. And again, there West was Country, always wasn't a look he, of, uh, was he Was he West Country in his I think he might, yeah. the way he performed? But they always had that. The person who never lost any suspicion of me was Carmen Silvera from TV's A Lower Low. Because, <laughs> unfortunately, what happened was, when I met Jimmy Perry, he saw me doing some stupid voices, and he thought, oh, he can do stupid voices. He should be the bloke who does stupid voice in my play. <laughs> but as you know, in the old days, if you were in show business, you also knew how to sing and dance. Yeah. So <laughs> on, the, on the first day, I get there, and I've had about three hours sleep, and, uh, and, and they go, right, we're going to rehearse the funky chicken number. Robin, you're over there. And I went, oh, no, no, I don't think I'm meant to be doing any dancing. They went, oh, yes, everyone does. Well, by the end of the day, I was out of five numbers. And it was just <laughs> like this... And every night, we, the end of the show, we had to sing a, a song called Dirty Old Car Mix, Fighting for Laughs, right? And that, do a little dance routine. And I was always How out. I've only just heard about this now. I know. It's, uh, sometimes I know when a secret should be revealed. And I thought, because this is your last day on Earth, because Les Dennis is about oh, to kill you, like he's killed everyone I just else. Bought a bike. <laughs> but the, um, yeah, so, so every night I knew I was slightly out of time on the kick step, and Carmen Severa would loudly tut. Because she was Queen Rattling that year as well, <laughs> and she'd met Sasha Distel the week before. Anyway, do you know what? So, I, I do. I'm sorry. Whose dream are we in? I just keep drawing modern parallels because what I really love doing is absurd reality TV. Like I did um, MasterChef; it was a thrill. I did this thing where they dropped me on an island, and I'm somebody who's like very like, oh, I'm a very fey indie comedian, so I shouldn't ever be in there. <laughs> but they always need to make up the numbers, so I'm always like, yes, I'll hang out with the posh one from Gogglebox and make a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, I feel like in 20 Your years, base was an absolute about. disaster, wasn't no, it? Um, <laughs> My son still I talks think about the flavors that. were the best of the group. Oh no, the flavors were great but the bass was just ridiculous and, and I remember my son saying he really wanted you to win and he went oh dad I don't know if you saw Josie got the bass all wrong and then you didn't make it it is the it most through. terrifying experience Master Chef, isn't it yes. it is yeah it's, it's, but, it's very scary but how did, did you how far did you get uh, runner up <gasps> that's incredible <laughs> joint runner up with, with oh, thank, thank you, you. Thank you. 
Can I just say something? Janet Street Porter oh. and me to Aid Edmondson. Oh, yeah. that's oh, a good who, year. What was your yeah. signature dish? My signature dish was um, it was a, a cod with a parsley crust in a lemon butter sauce. Oh, that's oh, good. Yeah. I got knocked yeah. out for a rice pudding. Yeah. <laughs> Heartbreak. And I got beaten by the woman off the chase who is so <laughs> competitive, but she, she pretends she's not. <laughs> I got through for a rice pudding. Oh! It was, it was, you know that, you know, you had to come up with a dish that had some kind of sentiment and family yeah. um, kind of meaning. My dad always, when we were a kid, used to say, "You can't have rice for a pudding. You, you can't have rice for your dinner. It's a bloody pudding." So I made this uh, rice pudding and 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 used mint because my that was the only thing that grew in our garden. And John Tarodes liked my rice pudding. What was wrong with yours? God, it didn't even work when I was practicing it. <laughs> I don't know why, but in my head, you know, it's so it's so frightening. I was like, oh, well, um, I, I've got this idea for a rice pudding, so I'll just keep doing the rice pudding, and then hopefully when I do it for real on the TV show under in increased pressured conditions, it'll be better. <laughs> it's terrible. The only problem is, the though, you, uh, rice pudding in an hour is very... It was the one where you do two courses. So okay. my first one was... I mean... <laughs> This is not about books, and I worry that at least 30% of you have switched off. But nonetheless, my first course was a pork loin, which they said was dry, which is fair because I forgot to put the wine in it. But the second course... But then I saw... You, you forgot to put the rice in the rice pudding. It was just slop. <laughs> anyway, sorry. But it's, I, I, what's fun is to draw sort of parallels between what was happening then and what is happening now and sort of it's all still that messy like all those elements are still there like Rylan is our sort of modern day name a 1980s personality that Rylan is um, he did MasterChef because I, I went oh, yeah, on you know good. when you go back and you kind of um, you go back as judges and you sit and you sample that's how I good went, you were I went with uh, well you have to be a runner up or a winner oh I know <laughs> so I yeah, went they back they don't let people who came 17th go back <laughs> I love it Ry when Ryland... starts to get alpha male this is really he was very relaxed before but now now yeah. he's seen victory <laughs> You and Rylan. Ryland Rylan cooked for for me and Aid and Sophie Thompson. Um, he he made I, uh, a steak, steak uh, and baked potato. I had to cook for um, someone off of uh, Chelsea, who oh. I had good strong information had taken loads of secret cookery classes to help him win, <laughs> and I felt like this is so rich. This is <laughs> but he didn't like the rice. <laughs> How far did you get? Second elimination. No, that, that's that's good. <laughs> it is. No, it is because first elimination. Yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah, bad. That's, yeah. I think Rylan is like Michael Barrett from TV's Nationwide. I think that's the best from the 1980s that I can Thank come up you. with. Thank you. I hope that's helped I'll, anyway. I'll do you some more later on. And you yeah, no, it's, it's helping me a lot. The um, but I think that's but again that thing about what the divide is mm. is. We all like dicking around as well. We like yeah. having fun and going into... A, and I think that idea of what you're meant to be... Yeah. As, as, and, and I think in, in kind of a, the world of showbiz, it is sometimes people say, don't try and be too many things because that's not what... You know, and perhaps they're right. You know, that, that you are... If you're a singular kind of product, then people mm -hmm. go, that's what... You, but it's not much fun. And I know, you know, people who've become quite successful... And are not happy, even though they're rich and all the things, because they, they're not allowed to go, oh, I can do that side project now and I can go off and do, do these things. That's why Ken Dodd knew exactly who he was and what he was. He knew exactly... He, he got a chance to play Shakespeare, and once he'd done it and proved that he could do it, uh, it's in, in Louis' book, that he, uh, he proved that he could do it and didn't feel the need to have to go and do it again. 
But that is, I mean, Ken Dodd is someone where you just go, that, that seems to me he was incredibly singular, mm. even by the standards of any other comedian. Yeah. His, his love of having that audience there mm-hmm. for seven or eight hours yes. and just, you know, yeah. and all of those blue plaques on different chairs <laughs> yeah. of people who died while watching him. And yeah. it's, but it is... You're in the crowd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is Ken killing them or Les? We don't know which. The, um, but it is, it's such a... And, and I loved it. Louis' book is, is, is great. I highly recommend it. His, his uh, Happiness and Tears book uh, is... Th- but there's an interesting bit, which is the fact that when Ken Dodd made that arena special, yeah. the uh, director, she says that there was a point where he was saying, don't go in so deep. Don't they don't, in, I, yeah. I want... This yeah. is what I want. He didn't want people to know about the secret side of Ken Dodd no. or anything like that, if there was any if secret there was side. Any. Yeah. It just... Th- what he wanted to be known as was, this is me. This yeah. the tickling sticks, you know, the incredible coats, all of those... That he was jokes. Mm. And the vent return and all of that. And jokes at his own expense. I remember at the 2008 uh, Liverpool um, Capital of Culture celebrations, we were all backstage waiting to go out, all the kind of the great and good of, of, of Merseyside. And Doddy told me, well, he told it as a joke. He said, so, uh, young, young juvenile, used to call me young juvenile, young juvenile, I, was, I had a hernia. And um, when I was on the operating theatre, the, the surgeon said to the anaesthetist, give him some more. He said, what? He said, I've given him enough. He said, give him a bit more. He said, I can't give him any more. He said, give him a a bit more. Five hours in the theatre, let's see how he likes it. (laughs) 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 And he was also, is it right, that was the first thing you saw on stage when you were a kid growing up? Yes. You saw Ken Dodd. I saw him at the Royal Court. Um, It would have been about 1963, 64. um, And it was the first, my mum and dad took us, he used to do um, a, a... a long season at the Royal Court. And I can remember, um, and again, it's in, it was a reminder in, in Louis Buff's book that, that when, when the, uh, just in the middle of a routine, a cow falls from the, from the flies. A full-size cow falls behind him and he just carries on with his routine and doesn't mention it. It's like, like, like Tommy Cooper with the gate. Tommy Cooper used to have a gate on stage that he'd put there and he'd go to his props table and then he'd walk through the gate to the microphone. But just every time he went back to the props table, he went through the gate but never mentioned it. Never, just, it was just funny. Yeah, you know? it's just delight, just, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like Harry Hill. I feel like Harry Hill is the modern-day version of that, somebody who still maintains a persona, but at the mm. same time it's so joyful and yeah. inventive and... I'm going to keep drawing comparisons and you're going to enjoy it. <laughs> Is he like Michael Barrett? Yeah, he's very much, I always think Harry was very much like Michael Barrett from TV's Nationwide. Yeah, the, um, but that is... that Because that, uh, I, I know that there's a mention that the end of Music Hall was, was kind of the death of Ken Dodd. The, the mm. one person I, would, I might are against that, which is uh, Bernie Clifton. Bernie, still yeah. working, and Bernie yeah. Clifton. I, 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 I did a, a show with him where uh, he did Edinburgh once, and he's so just just one one day, and he wanted me to read from a. I, I was reading out from. I used to do a show called Book Club where I'd read from from weird books, yeah. and I was I was reading, trying to read very seriously a passage from Sid Little's Little Goes a Long Way, <laughs> while um, Bernie Clifton, which is much better than Little by Little, but I'm sure I've told you that before. It's, it, the ghostwriting Little by Little takes away all the nuance that Little oh. Goes a Long Way has, and. Um, and Bernie Clifton would then, of course, be running behind me in the ostrich, just right. goosing me every now and again <laughs> yeah. while I had to... And, and, that, and, and Bernie, when uh, a couple of times I worked with him, I, he has a love of creating a joke for no reason. Some of you will know, he, he used to... He has this bit where he would attach himself to a parcel tape 
uh, um, kind of dispenser, <laughs> and he would just wander around. Not during a show. This was around the Pleasance Courtyard in Edinburgh. <laughs> he just wandered around people till they're suddenly all trapped in the, and he they can't work out how to get out. And then he just breaks the tape and he goes, "Well, I don't know how to end that," and walks out. So that's kind of. That, that's a joke for no other reason than let's just have fun in this courtyard. You know? I remember in the Pleasant Courtyard standing with Bernie and this woman saying to him, I thought you fell off a roof and died. <laughs> 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 it should have been like, I did. <laughs> but the, when you were writing, well, in fact, even before writing the book, as someone who has it, do you have favourite... I mean, my two favourites are probably Born Standing Up by Steve Martin. Right. And, uh, yeah, that's great. Also, that's Bob great. Monkhouse's book, Crying With Laughter, I think yeah. was quite a, a, a revelation. That changed everything for him because that was that point where he went from being the, you know, at that point, the, the uber cheesy yes. quiz show host. Mm. He opened up. Mm. Yeah, that's a great book. I think Bob's book and, and Les Dawson's. I think he wrote two, but I remember... One when he talked about his his life with Tracy, his second wife, and that's um, again very honest. Well, he's another one who thinks again in terms of that kind of the the idea of comedians and misery. He does mm. seem to be someone who just had a from. I mean, you actually worked with 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 Les. Yeah, yeah. What worked did you do with work with them all? Um, I did blankety blank with Les, so I was on that with him, and he was lovely, really a, a, a genuine nice man. Because it seemed like, I, I think Tracy might have talked about, or, or certainly, or, or might have been in Louis' book, actually, which is, uh, Louis' written all the books. In the, mm. uh, but it's um, where, on his wedding night, he was just in, in, you know, in the hotel, and he was just <laughs> telling stories to everyone. So she went to bed, but he was still, because people, the people were still there to entertain, he right. was still there having his whiskey and telling the stories. So I think, you know, that, that bit of going, uh, I better, I've got a couple more, and then, then I'll go to, oh, hang on a minute, <laughs> yeah. I told you this one. And that, that love of, so again, there's not that harsh Telly divide. Stories. Yeah. Have you ever read his, his novel he wrote? Oh, God, I'm going to forget the name of it Ace now. of Clubs. No, Ace of Clubs is brilliant. Yeah. A Time Before Genesis, quite a collectible book. Sold to the um, hat. Thank you very much, Lou Barth. Uh, books available in the foyer. Um, and uh, Time for Genesis. Yeah, I might have one of my copies in the bag. I'll sell it for 40. <laughs> it's uh, 50 over there. Okay. The, um, but it's, it's a fascinating book because it, it's kind of, it's almost, part of it's like a James Herbert book. Right. It's kind of a, a book about a dystopian future, which also has a lot of stuff kind of about the Illuminati. Wow. It feels like David Icke, when he wasn't doing the scores, read that book and took it a little bit too seriously. Because <laughs> it's like, it's a really, but it's, I know it, it didn't sell, mm. which is one of the reasons it's, it can be quite hard to get. Because it, the, his other books, his comedy novels are fantastic. Yeah. Ace of Clubs. Ace of Clubs is really yeah. good. She took to the stage like a gouty hippo. A gouty hippo. <laughs> he was a great wordsmith, wasn't he? He could build a story with, with amazing kind of colour and, and, and belief in the, the, the kind of the landscape before he even started telling what the joke was. Have you found yourself ever, when you've been reading biographies or autobiographies of people you've worked with, mm. are there any that have surprised you in terms of that really isn't the, you know, that the, the even, you know, I always know that there's a different side to people, but someone who you were really quite kind of shocked to see the, the reality of. If, if I kind of, kind of read something about somebody that I've, I know and, and then I think that they've airbrushed, then I put it down because I just think that's, that's not... You're not being truthful, and I think that you should. If you're gonna, if you're gonna write about your life, you should write about it and and not uh, brush things out. So, you know, I think the I, I don't want to mention names, but there've been a couple, yeah, 
Well, Give us the initials. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, it is annoying when you read a book that you can tell is heavily ghostwritten. Right. But when I used to do book club and we used to do mm. that together, that was when I really started to learn. I would read all these showbiz autobiographies. Yeah. And you could clearly tell that some of them had been written by ghostwriters. Right. And you can clearly tell that Don Estelle had written his. And, <laughs> which keeps getting mentioned, this book. Don Estelle from, from, from It Ain't Half Hot Mum, his, his book... Um, uh, Sing Lofty um, is an incredible. Have you ever read it? No. It was no. published by the Donnerstell Music Publishing. That's Company. what Windsor, and, uh, <laughs> Windsor Davis would say, wouldn't he? Sing Lofty. That that was the, the catchphrase, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And it was such a. Um, it's it's an odd book because each chapter feels like he sat down. He's got his bottle of wine. Yeah. And he started writing, and he started writing quite jolly. And then he's had a couple of drinks. Hey, bloody Winter Davis wouldn't come to Huddersfield with me. And then by the end, he's quite kind of lachrymose and melancholy. So right. each chapter feels like a journey through a bottle of wine. And, um, and there's, a, there's a lot of kind of repetition in it as well. But it's, it's a very interesting book because he'll kind of, he starts and you think, that sounds like a very interesting story he's about to tell. Mm. But then he moves immediately on to talk about the problems he had with his neighbours over a fence issue. So... <laughs> There's a whole chapter that deals with all the problems involving the drive and the fence and eventually selling the house, but very little about the It Ain't Half Hot Mum tour he did with Windsor Davis, which went across <laughs> the world. You know, and, and that's, I think, why I quite like it. Well, mm. I'm very fond of it. I know Arthur Smith, I think, is very fond of that one as well. Oh, I'll, because I'll it is, one, you do feel like you're, you're in a dressing room with Don Estelle. With Don Estelle, yeah. Telling you where it all went wrong. <laughs> That'd be a great title for autobiography. <laughs> Where it all went wrong. <laughs> do you have you ever found that, Joe? I mean, because we've now, there's a few people we know kind of, you know. I saw James Eckaster do his first ever gig ever. Um, and then I took him on tour with me. So I've got very good. T- no, I saw him, it was, and it was exactly that. I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is 100% it. This is it. You've got it. That's what it mm. is. Because he was just telling anecdotes. He wasn't, he was just sort of talking about things that had happened to him. And he was talking about like, Sleeping in a bush, wearing a dress. <laughs> how we came to that, that, that having happened to him, and it was oh, it was just fantastic. And I remember it, it's. I find it, but that's what I love. Like without sounding too much of a prick, that's what I love about comedy is that it's so um, uh, constantly. It's this wellspring. It's always, always surprising. There's always, mm. always people coming out that you're like, yes, this is why we're doing it. You know, it's I love your fear of being a prick by saying, it's really interesting, there's people that are great. <laughs> no, how, I much, mean, how much no, does that I mean, say <laughs> about the world that we live in now, which is, I saw com- that Josie Long, a lack of cynicism, <laughs> I think, spoiled it. <laughs> because we're all comedians, they didn't want to be like, well, that's what makes us all great. <laughs> you know, I didn't mean it like that, I just meant like, it is such a thrill. Like, I, th- I think about that with Edinburgh too, every time you go up, there's one or two people that you hadn't yet been introduced to that you're like, oh, wow. They've got it. Of what I do is stupid baby stuff. They're doing grown-up <laughs> stuff. <laughs> but that's a hard thing, isn't it? Because sometimes when you do watch people who are brilliant mm. and you realise your own shortcomings, that's, that's the bit which mm. is to battle against the, yeah. the, 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 <laughs> the, the envy. The, yeah. <laughs> Could you recommend seven people who are awful? I've just seen five <laughs> people who are great. And I just went to see Daniel Kitson, immediately followed by Bridget Christie. Can you at least send me to someone who's been going 40 years who's shit? It's, uh, it's really important for me. My, my ego is in tatters. I mean, that, that's part of uh, the battle as well sometimes, yeah. isn't it? Well, I think, you know, kind of sometimes watching somebody die is amazing, isn't it? You, and you, but, but not in a cruel way because you're thinking, how are they going to handle it? Because you know 
the times that you have been in that situation. You know, I, uh, when I first started, um, if you didn't do your full uh, routine, you got paid off. You know, you'd, you'd, you'd get half your money. So um, I would stay on. In fact, I got the nickname in the clubs of Bronco because I wouldn't... Because <laughs> I would stay on. Um, and, uh, and I get fascinated when I watch somebody who's, who's having trouble with an audience but then can bring it round. I find it fascinating. I also think there's as many types of death on stage as there mm. are colours in the rainbow because I've seen people dying where I'm really with them and I feel like they look noble and powerful yeah. even though everyone's hating it and I'm like yes mate <laughs> you fucking dig in you keep doing this obscure <laughs> shit that only you and me like fucking go for it I had a, I had a guy um, in, uh, in the northeast, you know sit in the corner in the concert chairman box like they used to be in wheel tappers and shunters and he just went come off bonnie lad don't punish yourself <laughs> <laughs> but that level of, of cruelty of just getting the kind of half pay as well that's something you yeah. know we'd never had to that, that's not really been well, in, i'm a in woman that. so i've had to do <laughs> 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 we are running out of time Oh, okay. So, oh, well, we let's should, end wow. on that point then. <laughs> um, <laughs> we should do a little roundup of things we've read and things we've enjoyed. Oh, okay, let's do yeah. I would really like to mention I've two things. My friend, Nell Frizzell, who's a fantastic journalist and writer, her book, The Panic Years, is coming out, which is about this new cultural thing for women between about starting at about 28, where everyone's like, when are you having a baby? Are you having a baby? With whom are you having a baby? And it's about trying to deal with that pressure. And um, I also read this wonderful long poem, uh, group collection of poems themed I don't know what that is like concept poems yeah. <laughs> I don't know but it's called Deaf Republic and it's by Ilya Kaminsky and it's absolutely beautiful it's about this kind of fictionalised um, Eastern European city that's under siege and about all the residents deciding to pretend that they're deaf as like a protest wonderful so there you go mm. guys i've read two books that's <laughs> <laughs> what you were i i loved brian cranston's autobiography i thought it was really i mean it's very short but it's 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 just lovely and it takes you up to i think i think it takes you up to breaking bad but not mm. up, it takes you up to when he came and and did a, a play um i think here in london was it before just before network and it's it's a wonderful um really honest but um insight into how he became from a comic actor to that amazing uh, performance in Breaking Bad and also uh, I read Somebody the uh, the biography of um, Marlon Brando can't remember the writer sorry uh, so have, you, have you found you read more biographies of uh, now that you, you you're working pretty much full-time as an actor mm. are, you, are you drawn more to that too? I think I think so yeah yeah I think um you know it's it's something that it's still on my bucket list to to do Shakespeare, and it's something that I haven't done. So I, you know, I'm I'm looking at that side rather than than the comic side. Who would you? Uh, is is the one part? Is, is it a comic part? Is it uh, you know? Because obviously we we know the cliche of the comedian <laughs> and Hamlet. But what what would it? I'd love to play the fool in in Leah, and I know that you know Doddy nearly played that with um, uh, what was the um, the great actor in little Pete Postlethwaite he nearly did that um and that 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 would have been great to see but it um, who did it instead um I don't know oh. I don't know it wasn't wasn't a comic who did it well, but, but the, the the fool in Lear would be would be my part and it 
I first went to Stratford when I was 17 and saw an actor called Embrace James play Feste in Twelfth Night, and I think that's what made me want to act. You know, so when you see a great performance, it's what brings you to the need to do something. I've read, I read Whitstable by Stephen Volk, who is, uh, or Volk, in fact, sorry, uh, who is uh, fantastic, uh, wrote Ken Russell, the, the, the movie Gothic, and uh, for anyone who remembers Ghost Watch with Michael Parkinson and Mike, he, he wrote that as well. And it's a really beautiful novella, and it's all about Peter Cushing, uh, just after his wife had died. And he, he was utterly, uh, I was mentioning beforehand, like the, the, when his wife died, he was so broken, he actually started running up and down the stairs in the hope that he would have a heart attack because he wanted to join her immediately. And then he suddenly realised he, he was Christian and he thought, oh no, what if I do that? And then I'm sent to the other place and I don't get... And it's this beautiful story, which is both... A, it's a dramatic story about him kind of beginning to find some of him, himself. Again, a, a little kid comes up to him on the beach in Whitstable and says, I need your help. He thinks The kid thinks he's Van Helsing. He says, there's a vampire, there's a vampire who's going to marry my mum. And it's a really beautifully... Uh, I love reading the... I don't know if I've mentioned it on, on this before, but it's like when I did a show which included stories about Peter Cushing, there's some, some beautiful things. One of them was when Peter Cushing was a child. Do you know this one about when he, his mother would punish him um, if he was naughty by pretending to be dead? And, uh, oh, and then this... I, I would have told you that my mum used to tell me that she wasn't my real mum. She was a witch who'd bitten off the face of my mother, stuck it onto her face. <laughs> well, that's chapter one of your autobiography sorted then, isn't it? Why did you become a comedian, Josie? <laughs> Les, thanks so much for coming down. I really would recommend, I probably, the, must the show go on? It, it was, I read it in one sitting in a seaside caravan as well, which I think is kind of right as well. And the it right was place. just, it's such a great book about all of those things and it's not just about showbiz it is about no. those bits where you sometimes forget about life because you're so caught up in what you think that you must do yeah. and there's so yeah. much of that covered and um, Les what are you up to is there anything you'd like to, to... Uh, no I, I, I have um, a film coming out but I can't talk about it yet so right um, well, also, I know there's at least two things you can't talk about, so do follow Les on Twitter yeah. and you'll find out. But apart from that, I've got snow blindness in my diary. <laughs> right, so the, but there is, yeah, there's some interesting stuff coming up. Yeah. Josie, you are on tour, aren't you? I'm currently on tour of the United Kingdom. Please come. It's, it, it's, it's a fun tour so far. Oh, listen, thank you so <laughs> Thanks much very for much. Coming. I hope you enjoy it and enjoy the rest of the Les weekend. Dennis. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed that. Do go and check out Josie's website for the dates for her tour shows. Do go to patreon.com slash bookshambles to support the show. Do go to cosmicshambles.com and check out everything else we've got coming up and going on. Do check out Chortle for comedy news and reviews. And until next week, have a great week. And... Until next week, uh, have as good a week as is possible. Uh, this will be the last ever episode of Book Shambles uh, with the UK part of the EU, it seems. So that's uh, that's a thing. Have a great week. We'll be back next week. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. Thank you.